Hello and welcome to P Guru's channel. Namaskar. This is Sri Iyer, your host of P Guru's channel. And today is Monday, 9 p.m. And that is Ask Abhijit time. Today, before we go into the Q&A, we're going to talk about these MNCs based in Pakistan, indulging in politics. Is it good for them? Not good for them? And news is coming in that Kentucky Fried Chicken has actually apologized. So, you know, we have to wait and see what happens to the others, the Hyundai's and the Kia's. To understand this a little bit more in depth, before we jump into our Q&A, let's welcome our guest of the evening, Abhijit Ayer Doron Mitra. Abhijit, how's it going? Well, well, Vithi, well, and thanks for having me on as always. Haan, Bengaluru is coming, so well, well, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. See, I've so, told you, no, I'm gender fluid, identity fluid. All, I'm all kinds of fluid. So um, <laughs> it depends on the time of the day and the location. You know, so many things. It's all intersectional, as they say. <laughs> Wonderful. Your, your take on what is going on. How are the MNCs getting suckered into this, Abhijit? They are too smart for this. See, okay. Okay. Look, first of all, we need to remember that it's a franchise model. KFC and things are franchise models. Uh, you know, it's given to a local distributor in Pakistan because the Pakistani market is tiny. They sell, Hyundai, for example, sells about 8,000 plus cars in uh, Pakistan. They sell half a million cars in India. Okay, so the supplier situation in Pakistan is like, you know, Mercedes and BMW used to be in India 20 years back, which is given to a local dealer. There is no in-country presence and things like that. They just get a verified Twitter handle and then they do what they want. Now, that isn't the problem. The problem is how does KFC India or Suzuki India or Hyundai India deal with it? KFC India dealt with it very gracefully. They apologized and they accepted, you know, I mean, it was matter of factly. We, we, you know, we stand committed to India. Uh, 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 the, the Pakistani suppliers are beyond our control, and that's perfectly fair. Yeah, yeah. That's the fine. problem with Hyundai was they got arrogant and they doubled down. Unsolicited tagging of this. What do you mean unsolicited tagging? Just make it clear, now Just say something like, "Look, Hyundai India always stands by uh, uh, this thing. This is a supplier." And mind you, the supplier, this is not the first time this supplier has done it. The same uh, Pakistani supplier has done it uh, every year for three years running. Uh, and every time it's been caught early on because it's been circulated on the automotive journalists uh, uh, telegram group. And, you know, they've gotten Hyundai to call that guy up and delete it. Uh, well, not three years running. It happened three years back. It hasn't happened for the last two years. And this year it's happened again because this guy thought in Pakistan thought he could get away with it. Okay. Obviously he didn't and it's blown up in Hyundai's face. So now Hyundai is well within their rights to terminate the contract and pick up the financial loss of the hundred or so cars that we stuck with that supplier out there. I don't know what they're going to do. The problem is what Hyundai India did has only aggravated the situation now very considerably. So it's, you know, I mean, this, this thing happens and when you've got huge, gigantic corporations like this, this mix-up can happen. But what I don't understand is who their PR lead is, who their Twitter handle is, 
uh, who are the clowns running the show in India that they didn't even get this basic PR message? No apology, arrogance, doubling down. By the way, Suzuki has done it consistently for the last three years. Did you know that? No. Suzuki Pakistan has been doing it consistently for the last three, four years. Honda did it uh, as well. Uh, uh, right. So uh, a lot of them have to do it. Because remember, these chota mota salesmen in Pakistan who run the local uh, uh, agencies, uh, the local dealerships, uh, what happens with them is uh, they're relatively rich by Pakistani standards. Well, they're relatively rich by any standards. The dealership owners are always quite rich. And obviously, if you want to get a dealership and things like that, you are linked to that sort of military, uh, uh, feudal uh, business uh, uh, network, essentially. So they all have to outdo each other to show themselves as being loyal to the state and things like that. And some of them are, of course, genuinely radicalized uh, uh, jihadi brain type, uh, uh, this ones, right? So they, they do it. It's not that we should forgive them uh, for it. It's just that, you know, what, what's amazing out here is India doesn't seem to have a coordinated policy on any of these things. Do you remember when Sushma Swaraj went after Amazon Canada for selling uh, Indian flag footmats? Yes, yes. Ad hoc reaction? Since then, you need to develop a systemic reaction? No. Okay. The same thing happened. You remember when Uyghurs were invited for a conference in Delhi, when Jay Shankar was the foreign secretary? It happened not once. Once, the first time, the first guy, his visa got cancelled. Then it happened a second time. Then it happened a third time. They deal with everything ad hocly. There is never a systemic institutional response. It's everything is jugad and chalta hai. We'll deal with it as and when it happens. And you know, it reflects very badly on policy because if you're looking at things that keep happening over and over again and you don't have a pre-rehearsed institutional response, then how much better are you at uh, uh, regular policy? It's like, say, Rahul Gandhi in parliament. Today, he skipped the prime minister's speech. Uh, what kind of a juvenile delinquent are you? If, you? if you can't take your parliamentary responsibility seriously enough, why should uh, uh, we believe that you can take your governance responsibility seriously enough? As it is, he treats his, uh, for, even when he was president of the Congress, he treated it like a joke. He used to keep going off to Bangkok, to London, to Rome, whatever. So see, it's, when you keep doing, making the same mistake over and over and over again, and you know this morning, incidentally, the PMO, the NSA's office and all of that, they were actually proudly WhatsApping everyone with that uh, uh, Hyundai non-apology claiming, ha, 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 look, we got an apology done. Please tweet about it. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So, um, uh, Abhijit, uh, before we jump into QA, Q and A, I have one small request. I have one small request, and uh, viewers, we have started putting out some regional versions of our weekly global insights. We have started with Tamil because Tamil is something that is my mother tongue. You always start with your mother tongue, and we are also trying to get other languages. It takes a little bit of working in the background to do it. So we request you to support us in this. See, there are many of us who are watching today that have parents, sisters, cousins, who are comfortable understanding something in their native language. That is the effort here. And Abhijit, can you read Tamil? 
very badly. I'm not even going okay. to try. Okay, so uh, viewers, uh, we have picked a title which is sort of funny in the sense that uh, MGR, MG Ramachandran, the Chief Minister of uh, Tamil Nadu, is an iconic name. And one of his biggest hits in his life, movie hits, was a movie called Ulagam Sutrum Valivan. And it is like a globetrotting guy, globetrotting young guy. Now, it is believed that he was born in 1910. No actual facts, but it is believed that he was born in 1910. And this movie was released in 1973. So he was 63 years old and he was a globe-trotting young man. So we thought, why not take that and come up with Ulagam Sutram Valibargal? And, and both Sridhar and I are sort of in that age group now that we can also say, okay, if MGR, therefore us. But at least it's got a catchy name. Hopefully you guys will uh, support us in this and give us a like to say that, yes, you like this thing. And, and again, this is very, very focused on world news. Uh, world news is something that has actually taken a uh, backseat these days. And it, it covers not only the world, but also India and things that don't come in MSM. So please do support us in this endeavor. The next episode is going to come out in a few days. And, and thank you so much for all your support for Abhijit's show. And Abhijit, um, let's get back questions and answers now. Here we go with the questions from, I think, last week uh, that we couldn't get to. So, by the way, one episode with unanswered questions is sort of hanging loose. We'll figure out how to do this thing. Poor Abhijit has been trying his best to get it done. But somewhere something was, uh, has gone wrong and we are not able to do it. But just hang, hang tight. We will figure something out. Here we go. First question, Abhishek. Abhijit Bhaiya, why do a lot of Western soldiers suffer from post-war depression, stress, drugs addiction, and suicide? Why aren't our soldiers uh, suffering from these problems? Uh, these problems are actually extremely acute in our uh, uh, military. Okay. Uh, the thing is, uh, in India, med uh, mental uh, health is a taboo subject. So we don't talk about it. Therein lies the problem. Most of it goes undiagnosed. You know, uh, uh, undiagnosed, untreated. People don't even think of it as a problem. Right? So it's actually very, very acute in India. Uh, but we don't pay attention to it. Next question, please. Shalak Pradhan wants to know, did Pakistan Air Force shoot down an Su-30 or any other plane besides the Mi-21 on the 27th of February 2019? What can be done to improve our data link so that they don't let us down? No, they just shot down a MiG-21. That's it. Nothing else. Uh, and what can be done to improve our data links? Look, first of all, a lot of what was done that day because of the kind of equipment that was used, mix and match. We didn't have data links on because the data links were so incompatible and they created so much confusion that we shot down our own helicopter with uh, a, a lot of deaths. Remember, a spider shot down, an Israeli spider shot down a, 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 a Russian Mi-17 helicopter precisely because it had to turn off its, uh, you know, IFF, the interrogator friend of foe and things like that. Now, problem here is if you multi-source you will not 
be able to the original equipment supplier will simply not let you data link it with a, a with equipment from a country that they consider their enemy it's that simple so it's simply not happening right it's not a question of we actually have access to very decent data links the problem is one of the source codes the refusal to share source codes the refusal to do integration or even allow us to modify it to do integration not that we can actually do that integration sometimes huh? some of it is extremely complex uh, the older equipment yeah we should be able to integrate it some of the newer equipment no you can't uh, you know developing data links is not a joke in india people seem to think it's like some chalega uh, jugad kind of thing it is not so these things uh, you know th th there's uh, it has more to do with our uh, human capacity to first diagnose the problem and then solve it and then you know we, uh, we we just assume it's a small problem and it is not a small problem it's actually a very big problem next question please manthan does do nations actually collapse because of economic failure like in the case of pakistan because north korea iran argentina all went through economic crisis but rarely do we see them collapse well uh, you know uh, uh, when countries collapse it's usually economics followed by civil strife or civil strife induced economic collapses and things like that right uh, if you have an extremely brutal dictatorship like north korea and iran obviously it isn't going to collapse uh, uh with argentina it was a completely different uh, uh, uh kettle of fish because there remember society is not uh, uh, it's a very docile society do you know what the highest uh, uh, uh what the maximum uh, employment the one sector that has the maximum employment in argentina what, what is the most popular profession in argentina do you know she tourism no psychiatrist shrink oh oh wow yeah why is that they have the highest rate of mental uh, illnesses anywhere in the world it is the hmm. single most popular profession uh, in argentina right so these people remember they are used to brutal military dictatorships that had an absolute state monopoly on violence they once argentina had the second highest per capita income in the world never forget that one point of time and so what's happened is there a completely docile society which has you know it's uh, it can collapse it's not a militarized society like uh, 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 pakistan uh it's not a uh, you know a deeply fractured society like syria so remember things countries just don't collapse because of one reason that when your economy collapses you collapse no it happens very specifically when an economic collapse precipitates other things so for example since we're talking about south america the clearest example of uh, collapses like this is the collapse of the moche civilization in uh, northern peru uh, and what happened with them was there was 40 years of excess rain and then 40 years of drought 
because of uh, El Nino kind of weather change patterns. And what we saw was uh, they managed for the first 10, 15 years with reserve stores and things like that, but then they couldn't. It then descended. So the economic collapse, primarily agrarian economy, then descended into civil war. And anyway, they were quite violent. You know, they used to carry out lots of human sacrifices and things like that. And in spite of that, they maintained a peace for about 10, 15 years. No joke. So these things require lots of things coming together. You need to have a social fracture, uh, uh, you know, uh, no uh, uh, state monopoly on violence, etc., 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 etc. Last question on uh, my question on Argentina: Is it now a democracy or is it a dictatorship? I kind of lost. It's been a democracy for quite some time now. Huh? It's been a democracy for a very long time now. Almost uh, 30, 35, 40, almost 40 years. I think. No, I remember uh, the Peron uh, movie, Don't Cry for Me, Argentina. Oh, God, that was really long back. That was in the 30s and things like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, ever since, uh, I think, ever since General Galtieri got kicked out after the Falklands War. Yes. Since yeah. the Falklands War, I think Britain, uh, you know, uh, uh, kicking their ass in the Falklands ensured that uh, 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 Argentina became a democracy after that. Uh, Britain actually did them a huge favor. (laughs) Next question, please. Ishank Sagar wants to know, is India actually doing uh, any manufacturing? Uh, is, Is India actually in doing at all anything in manufacturing? I was shocked to read Vietnam's exports had gone up from 90 billion to 400 billion in 2021 in five years. So we do manufacturing, but look, in the last 20 years, uh, the value addition in manufacturing has been steadily declining. Okay, we're heading uh, to a very dangerous point. And mind you, if you look at the 2007 no, I forget now. It was either the 7, 9, or 11 uh, uh, figures. Uh, agriculture had gone down as a percentage of population. And since then, it skyrocketed again as a percentage of population. And that's usually hidden unemployment. It's masked as agriculture, but it's hidden unemployment. It actually shows a reversal of the industrialization process. The most important thing you need to know is in around 89-90, the contrast between the USSR and China, China was dirt poor, it was unindustrialized. Russia was a second world country, it had very strong manufacturing, uneconomical, but strong nevertheless. The IMF told both of them, screw manufacturing, go in for uh, uh, services. China said, screw you to the IMF, and they decide to go in for manufacturing. Russia, which had a much higher trained workforce, much better trained workforce, albeit much smaller, accepted the IMF's thing and went in for uh, uh, services. Today, you see where China is and you see where Russia is. You can't sustain an economy on cyber coolies. Services depend on your manufacturing sector and how much value addition that manufacturing sector is making in order to sustain those services. 
Okay, they're essentially tail coating on services, uh, on manufacturing. No, the, the fundamentals are manufacturing. That. The foundation is manufacturing, if I understand. The foundation is always manufacturing, yeah. and that is something that has always been abysmal in India. Yes, indeed. Next question, please. Rahul Kulkarni wants to know, who's the bigger evil when it comes to Islamic terror? Qatar, Pakistan, Saudi, Afghanistan, or Iran? Look, they've all flirted with terror in one way or the other, right? Qatar, along with Turkey today, because it's a Qatar-Turkey axis, Qatar became uh, active in this whole thing only when the uh, last sheikh took over. See, he deposed his father and took over. Not the current sheikh, the current sheikh's father. Uh, you know, even now, if you go into the palace, they say if you want your photo taken, turn right and go to the current sheikh. If you want your work done, turn left and go to the office of the uh, daddy sheikh. So daddy sheikh deposed his father. And that's when they started doing a lot of this uh, terror supporting globally because they wanted to catch up to Saudi Arabia and things like that. It is continuing full swing. They, uh, you know, fund uh, Brookings. And Brookings is probably the biggest supporter of ISIS and Al-Qaeda that has emerged in the last uh, 10 odd years. Okay, the Brookings think tank in DC. Uh, 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 Pakistan, I mean, all Indians know about Pakistan, so they've been doing it for donkey's years. The Saudis had a very curious this thing. They came to power, the Asaud family. Remember, this is the third Saudi kingdom. The Souths had created two empires before, well, two kingdoms before, all of which got smashed and collapsed. This is the third Saudi kingdom. And they keep coming back to power based on their Wahhabi credentials. They, they'll get very upset if you call them Wahhabi. They call themselves Salafist. So uh, the Salafi credentials. And what had happened was they had churned the forces of radicalism within Saudi Arabia. Now, remember, even within Saudi Arabia, there were two belts. There's the Najd and there is the Hejaz. The Hejaz is the southwestern coast where Jiddah uh, uh, and Medina are. The Najd is the desert northeastern part. And you know, there's actually a Hadith which says nothing good comes out of the Najd. Only foul winds come out of the Najd. So these, now the southwestern part was actually extremely sophisticated relatively. And the uh, northeastern part was extremely dry, barren, brutal. The As-Sauds have always come from that part of Arabia, from the Najd. So they, it was automatically much more fundamentalist. Anyway, they capture the whole of Saudi Arabia. And then they realize they've created this army of Ikhwan. They did crush them. You know, the first, uh, the first king of the third kingdom of the third Saudi kingdom actually killed off a lot of the Ikhwan. There was the Ikhwan rebellion where they wanted to, they didn't want to stop with Saudi Arabia. They wanted to attack Britain and invade Iraq and things like that. And he realized that if he invaded uh, Iraq and attacked the British in Kuwait and Iraq, uh, his short lasted kingdom, it would be the shortest lasting uh, Saudi kingdom ever. So he then killed off the Ikhwan. The problem was they were already so heavily radicalized and this entire sort of crux of the kingdom was based on the Najdi Ulema. So they had to keep uh, keep these guys busy. So, you know, for example, if you've got a hyperactive kid, you find them lots of things. You give them 50 different video games in the hope they'll keep 
playing video games and they won't you know climb on the wall and break all your glass and your expensive chandeliers and your wine bottles or whatever or what have you that's what they were doing they were exporting outside and there was also this thing that as long as asouth sons were the uh, 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 rulers they were fixated in that early 1920s uh, mentality because remember they were all very old people they were 80 90 years old so they were fixated they hadn't changed with the times that they didn't realize saudi arabia had possibly also changed with the times the first person who attempted to change that was king faisal in the 70s he horribly miscalculated and his own nephew came and killed him for uh, showing tv and opening girls schools okay now mbs who is the third generation he's the first person of the third generation to take over the generational shift now realizes that things have to change personally i feel mbs is going too fast but he has stopped that terror funding very significantly now and if you notice the amirati uh, defense minister went to uh, uh, syria so he's also realized you know no more of this supporting the jihadis in syria it 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 doesn't help us out they're curtailing it qatar on the other hand is doing it because for them it's more about projecting and getting some kind of parity because the entire gcc gulf cooperation council depends on saudi leadership basically Qatar was trying to break that leadership uh, and uh, that's why that big break happened the amiratis remember mohammed bin zayed the ruler of abu dhabi has been a mentor to mohammed bin salman the ruler the de facto ruler of uh, saudi arabia and so you know mbs is following the abu dhabi dubai pattern where you know great wealth and investing it in human beings not just giving away wealth like the saudis used to actually making you work for the wealth that uh, uh, the state distributes to you uh, it really leads to a mental modernization i mean who thought he's made hijab optional now if you see nufal marwai who's uh, who you know won a padma award for uh, initiating yoga in saudi arabia there are women in a public park in saudi arabia doing yoga with no headdress wearing leotards and t-shirts who thought that was possible at the same time he's locked up women for demanding the right to drive he's given them the right to drive but when they demanded it he said no put you in jail and then he gave them the right to drive because his thing is very clear i will give you all your rights slowly 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 but you will not engage in politics if you make it about politics and protest come to me talk to me in private you want to make a public spectacle of it and protest and all that thing i am not going to have any protest in the country you will land up in jail and those jails are nasty places even now okay so saudi arabia was a different pattern afghanistan they started off supporting terror against pakistan they used to support pashtun terror against pakistan which is why you know pakistan wanted to deal with the afghan problem so to say after that you know a vacuum always leads to terror iran started off its terror support the moment ayatollah khomeini comes to power remember before that the shia sunni split it had largely ameliorated iran was the leader it was the american uh, uh, nominated superpower in the entire uh, uh, west asia uh, north africa region what iran said everybody else did but the moment ayatollah khomeini you know fights with uh, uh, takes over and fights with america 
that leadership was given over to Saudi Arabia, which then became the big uh, 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 this thing in the room. You look at the weapons that Saudi Arabia used to get. In the 60s and 70s, they used to get F-5s, which were extremely low-level fighters. The uh, 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 Iranians were given the F-14 Tomcat, which was the absolute high-level fighter. So, you know, they used to treat Saudi Arabia like a secondary ally and Iran was the primary ally because it had a border with the USSR as well. Right. So Ayatollah Khomeini, what he finds is he fights this disastrous war with Iraq and he realizes he needs some kind of mobilization happening because he's destroyed his own military in a sense through purges and things like that. And that is where they develop terror as a tactic. It starts off in the Iran-Iraq war and then it is extended to Lebanon uh, uh, and uh, now, of course, Yemen and Bahrain and places like that. So yeah, there's no bigger the... evil. It's all different kinds of evil. And some of it is not evil. It it just comes about because, well, you know, we, I mean, come along, who are we kidding? We supported terror. Uh, uh, who who made Bindranwale? Indra, Indira Gandhi and Zel Singh made Bindranwale. They wanted to undercut the Akali control of uh, 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 Sikh politics. They literally created Bindranwale. Zel Singh and Indira Gandhi created Bindranwale. Okay. Rajiv Gandhi created, uh, well, he strengthened and created Prabhakaran in that sense. The mother was killed by her own uh, terror works. creation. The son was killed by his own terror creation. Right. So we have also uh, supported terror. Uh, the LTT were terrorists. The, uh, 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 the Khalistanis were terrorists. It's not like we're all that innocent. Hey, question on, uh, on Iran for you, Abhijit. Uh, my memory is a little hazy. How did um, Ayatollah Khomeini, who was in exile, come back to uh, Iran and depose the, uh, the ruler? He goes and hides, hides in Mexico and so on. And so so, so he, he never deposed the ruler. Hmm. Basically, what happened was, remember, the thing about Reza Pahlavi was, he was quite happy for his secret police to pick up individuals and, you know, torture them if he felt they were getting or throw them in jail if he felt they were getting too big for themselves. But he could never bring himself to shoot down his population like Tiananmen Square. He could never, he could have done it. He could have totally done it. The Imperial Iranian Army and Air Force were completely under his control. There are still documents to show that a lot of his generals wanted him to give the orders for the tanks and machine guns to come out onto the streets. He refused to do it. And what had happened in 79 was oil prices had collapsed in 73 because of the Saudi oil embargo, the Gulf oil embargo in protest at uh, American support to Israel in the Yom Kippur war. Uh, uh, <coughs> prices had skyrocketed. So a lot of his big building schemes and massive infrastructure schemes had come about because of that huge boom in oil prices. And then suddenly oil prices crash. And you can't sustain that spending level anymore. And people who had depended on it joined with the religious scholars to get rid of him. Okay. So he was already deposed. Reza Pahlavi had already fled Iran because he refused to shoot his own people before Ayatollah Khomeini even set foot in Iran again. Ayatollah Khomeini did not engineer squat. 
he was brought back because everybody thought he was a holy man he turned out to be an extremely corrupt and cruel personality they made their mistake he comes he gets control first he was promising democracy then he just threw democracy out of the window and he uh, he himself uh, ended up being far far worse shooting far far more people killing more iranians than and torturing more of them than the shah in in a single year than the shah ever did in his entire reign okay and the thing about uh, 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 this uh, 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 I, i still remember you know going to tehran in what was it 85 85 86 i i forget the exact year and this was the old airport the new airport is uh, uh, mehrabad the old airport was uh, uh, is it mehrabad i i don't anyway the older airport which is near the nuclear reactor uh uh when you used to come out of there my very first memory of iran uh, of tehran then was watching three people hanging from a crane in the first gol chakkar outside the airport they used to do all these public whippings public execution you could be executed at the drop of a hat there was a particularly nasty fellow called ayatollah khulkhuli he was actually khalkhali but uh, you know the uh, iranian slang for madcap is khulkhuli so they used to call him ayatollah khulkhuli because he was a complete nut job he used to uh, snigger when he was giving his judgments like you know joker you know joker in the batman movies yeah uh, he was literally a psycho like that and he used to run kangaroo courts and at a time he sentenced hundreds of people to death the shah never did that so it was a completely different uh, 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 this thing he is uh, ayatollah khomeini comes to power due to circumstances and then captures power even though his role in actually getting rid of the shah was minuscule had that oil price drop not happened in september that was the trigger there were other things remember this is was a deeply conservative society that reza pahlavi was elbent on modernizing like ataturk Uh, you know reza pahlavi was great friends with ataturk uh, he looked up to ataturk in a sense so he wanted to do with uh, 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 but remember ataturk killed hundreds of thousands of his own countrymen kurds and people like that he slaughtered he used to purge his own uh, government and kill off his own deputy he was, uh, uh, people don't realize this but ataturk was a stalin reza pahlavi could not bring himself to be a stalin Did you mean Armenians giving... or Kurds? Did you mean Armenians Kurds, Kurds. or Kurds? Kurds? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. Kurds, Kurds, Kurds. Not Armenians. Okay. If I said, uh, if I meant Armenians, I would have said Armenians. Kurds. The Armenians were killed during the Ottoman Empire, not uh, uh, after that. Okay. Uh, this was all the Kurds and things like that. So what happens here is that uh, 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 this where was I? Pelavi. Pelavi. Shah Reza Pahlavi. Uh, so, so, uh, so Pahlavi was dealing with even today. If you go to Tehran and Isfahan, you will see extremely sophisticated, urban, modern cities, which are uh, you can tell because they were the most industrialized uh, cities. And Mashhad, they they were the three most industrialized cities. You will see that people have little time for religion in their lives. They're in private. They're completely irreligious. you on the other hand you go to shiraz 
near Persepolis, which was the least industrialized at that point of time, they are still extraordinarily conservative. You drive a few hours south of uh, Tehran to Kum, extraordinarily conservative because it was never industrialized. So you're dealing with this mixed population. And as long as you're willing to throw goodies at them, they're not going to come out in the streets. When the goodies stop, that's it. Like I said, multi-causal. It's never one cause, though the one cause triggered it. The trigger is unicausal, but the underlying circumstances are always multi-causal. Ishank Sagar wants to know, the moral dilemma that marks India's clueless foreign policy. Why the hell we support Palestinian cause? Why stonewalling any Kashmir mention? Hmm. Look, this is one of those hangovers of policy and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> mostly, th this, this was kind of dogma with the old government because of that entire, you know, non-aligned movement and PLO was a major member of the non-aligned movement. He'd get, uh, Yasser Arafat used to get invited to every single uh, uh, this thing. And it was seen as necessary because the belief in the Congress was, and by the way, the BJP doesn't believe any differently, huh? that if you support Israel, you will alienate the local Sunni vote. It's still pervasive. Uh, though, you know, the BJP, we know the Shias vote in large numbers for the BJP. So alienating Iran now has become much more problematic for the uh, BJP than alienating Palestine is. So if you notice, uh, when uh, Article 370 was abrogated in Kashmir, uh, the people making the loudest remarks after Imran Khan were Ayatollah Khamenei and uh, 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 Jawad Zarif, the foreign minister and things like that, uh, did you see a single Indian diplomat contradict uh, 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 Khamenei or even condemn it? No, there was not one official statement. We stayed absolutely quiet. Because remember, the Shias, even in Kashmir, they are considered mukbirs. They, they, uh, after the pundits were evacuated, uh, well, genocided pretty much, uh, 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 the Kashmiri Sunnis believe that the uh, uh, Shias, the Kashmiri Shias, are the informers of the Indian state. And in a sense, they actually are. Right. Uh, they, may, they, they don't like India. They don't like Pakistan. They want to join Iran. So you'll still go and see photos of Khamenei and Khomeini and uh, Hezbollah leaders up in uh, 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 Shia villages in uh, Kashmir. You will never see pictures of anyone martyred fighting Indian forces in Kashmir. And when I went there during the post-370 uh, 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 shutdown or whatever, uh, what have you, these people were in private, they'd come and uh, you go to Shia villages, all their shops would be open. Only in the villages. In the city, they won't dare do it, where it was mixed population. Right? Uh, and there used to be cooperative stone painting uh, because they are shit scared that uh, uh, the Sunnis will uh, come and kill them like they are in uh, Pakistan. So what happens is, uh, we saw this. They would go up to the uh, CRPF and CRPF would know, Haan, bhaiya, char baje, uh, painting shuru hone wala hai. Okay. Uh, and we were also sitting and watching, what is this? You both agreed between each other what time pelting shuru hone wala hai. And at 4 p.m. they would all shut their shops. They would come out. 
there there'd be whistles you know those uh, training whistles foo 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 uh, uh, whistles and they would come they won't even hit the police vehicles huh? they'll throw stones from a distance maybe one or two rocks would hit those vehicles the uh, crpf walas would also be standing very chill you know they'd just be keeping their hands on their rifles and standing behind their cars ek do patthar pada to gaadi pe pada and that was it okay so uh, 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 there are political compulsions and mind you none of this is based on data we don't know what the average muslim thinks about palestine uh, uh, or iran there is just a presumption in the bjp that if we turn against iran the shias won't vote for us and if we turn against palestinians what little sunni support we have will evaporate and there'll be social discord i don't believe that but that is what these people believe and there's nothing you can do plus there is the legacy of this whole bureaucratic thought process because remember it was uh, uh, haksar or dhar i forget who brought in this concept of a committed bureaucracy where all bureaucrats had to be trained essentially in the ideology of the congress party even today lal bahadur shastri school the uh, training academy in masuri it does not produce indian bureaucrats it produces congress party cadre masquerading as bureaucrats okay i think it was uh, haksar and, and i think it was haksar yeah, possibly uh, it could have also been dhar i i forget now Uh, but you're right. It, both are Kashmiri Hindus, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, both are Kashmiris. Uh, these Kashmiris, they've done a lot of damage to India uh, historically. So uh, uh, anyway, so what happened with these people was uh, the BJP is too stupid. They don't understand first principles. They don't understand the need for systemic change and things like that uh, because they're extremely poorly educated. They come from a much lower socio economic strata than most congress leaders do and their understanding of larger their education is mostly lacking and their understanding of larger issues they're very good at electoral politics they're sharks when it comes to electoral politics uh, but you know it's like uh, uh, people who are brilliant at humanities suck at science and the most brilliant science student will be completely useless at going and getting the girl it's like that next question please reek jyoti hati wants to know is germany's current economic model high tax social welfare etc and energy policy sustainable in the long term why just germany even many yeah. other uh, scandinavian countries isn't it yeah yeah sweden finland denmark norway yeah. see the norwegians found a way out through the oil about uh, 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 the north sea oil so they managed to stabilize that uh finland sweden uh <coughs> denmark german uh, to a lesser extent germany it's more the northern scandic countries than germany it is unsustainable because the population is reducing they thought they could compensate for it by getting immigration in because see the last generation of immigrants that they got in the 60s from turkey were not radicalized people that guest arbeit as it was called that entire turkish migration there they wanted to keep their heads low and focus on work and get a better life for their families the second generation of those turks are the problematic ones because they feel that they were brought up in a lower social strata they feel there was racism and there was racism to some extent 
And so they always imagined this good, pure Islamic Turkey. And they seem to have a lot more loyalty to Turkey than they do to Germany at some level. Right. So it's not like, uh, unlike NRIs, for example. Uh, all NRIs, I, I find NRIs are much more obscurantist than Indians. They insist on certain things. Sorry, with all due respect, usually, uh, you know, like you, you might be an exception, but 90% of NRIs that I meet, I don't want to meet again. Uh, but, uh, 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 and my mom doesn't either. Uh, every time she goes sari shopping to Nali or uh, Rasi silks or uh, whatever, she 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 will, uh, you know, she literally point to the uh, uh, guy who comes to receive her and say, yo, any NRI section which is you take me to the NRI section, I'll break both your hands. Because the NRI section has the absolute worst saris you can ever find anywhere. Okay, they'll all be 25 lakhs, 30 lakhs. And they all look like vomit uh, uh, reproduced as fabric. So this thing, uh, you know, it's like Russian Jews. They were horribly persecuted. But once they went to America, they had this notion of a mother Russia that was good and kind and great. The uh, uh, spies of the Manhattan program, the uh, American nuclear bomb program, were Russian Jews. Even though they had been pogromed, they had this great affection for the motherland. And they spied for Stalin and sent him back the secrets which the Soviets ultimately used to make their uh, uh, nuclear bomb. So this, this phenomenon is a kind of universal phenomenon in emigre community, in some emigre communities, not all some. And uh, because of this, they thought that getting Syrians in would be a great idea. It didn't turn out that way. Because the, the Turks who came, they wanted to migrate for work. The Syrians who came, came from a completely different society. Here, remember, uh, uh, Kamal Ataturk had an absolute monopoly on violence in uh, uh, Turkey, the, the regime that he left in charge. Absolute monopoly on violence. Syria was never like that. It had never developed. Right. Well, basic development, not much. So you have people who are very prone to violence at the drop of a hat, completely socially incompatible, coming in the hundreds of thousands, overwhelmingly males. Uh, in the youngest age group, most prone to violent crime. What did you think was going to happen? So Germany actually thought that was a fantastic way of solving its demographic problems, because now the dependency ratio is becoming very, very problematic in Germany. Across a lot of countries. But since you asked Germany, I'm telling you about Germany. But uh, it is unsustainable and their energy policies are unsustainable. Had they focused, initially the plan was to focus on nuclear reactors, which is one of the most cleanest and sustainable forms of energy. Uh, and then uh, Fukushima happened and, you know, Angela Merkel made the biggest mistake of her life. Uh, I still know Germans who keep cursing Angela Merkel, who love Angela Merkel otherwise, but they'll curse her for that decision not to go nuclear. Solar, okay, fine. Uh, the problem comes when you invest so heavily in wind energy, which is an extremely wasteful form of energy. Uh, but, you know, it's done out of ideology. It's not done out of uh, uh, this thing. And even today, I think uh, last week or something, the Germans rejected labeling nuclear energy sustainable, not because of the science, but because of the ideology. 
Well, well, well. Next question, please. Aditya369 wants to know, please suggest sources for traditional Indian cooking. The Tarla Dalals. Mm. No, not Tarla Dalal. Tarla Dalal was, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting Samay newer and newer. Samaitapar, Meenachi Amal. Cook and See by Meenachi Amal. Uh, for Bengali cooking, there's the uh, Bengal cookbook uh, by uh, Meenakshi Dasgupta. Uh, that is uh, actually quite traditional. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, mostly it's YouTube channels that I find that are much more traditional, surprisingly, because these people will never get uh, 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 contracts for books and things like that. But YouTube is a great democratizer of the discourse. I find those people are much more uh, uh, authentic in that sense. Uh, what who, who who was that Christian gentleman who used to research uh, ancient uh, Tamil food? Jacob I have no or something. Idea. No, poor guy. He he yeah. died young. Uh, he died young. You know, he was the one that discovered Onusore, which completely disproved the theory that biryani came from Central Asia. He literally mm. proved he died very young. Poor chap. Uh, he literally proved that we Did had. Did invite him to dinner? Sangam. No, no, no. I didn't even know him. I mean, he died. Dead very young. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, he died about 15, 20 years back. Uh, he, uh, yeah, so it was really very tragic uh, uh, for him passing away. But imagine one guy completely able to change a narrative just through historical research like that. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. All right. Next question from Ishan Plays. Why weren't ancient American empires, Aztecs and Incas, not technically on par with European, Indian and Chinese civilizations? And if they were, why did they collapse so fast? Mm, good question. See, <coughs> a lot of the development in... Uh, uh, it isn't just uh, uh, Eurasian empires. Uh, sorry, it isn't just uh, American empires. Also, Africa was very short-lived and uh, uh, sporadic and collapsed very, very quickly. Mali maybe being an exception and the Nubian kings being an exception. But remember, Mali and the Nubian kingdoms, Nubia was because of its constant contact with the Egyptian empire. Mali, because by this time, the northern Berber trade routes had been established very close to the uh, northern Berber coast. Uh, because you have Eurasia has an east-west axis, you have roughly equivalent temperature zones. And so a lot of technology, everywhere technology was invented, it would move in an east-west axis orientation. Okay, so if something originated in, say, Britain, it would take about four five hundred years before it got to China or something like that, or if something originated in Japan, it would take about sometimes even less than that. 150 years uh, to get to uh, <coughs> uh, Europe. Uh, a classic example is the canon. From the earliest canon we see in Chinese uh, depictions, proper canons, it takes less than about 100 years for it to get to Europe. It actually gets to Europe before it comes to India from China. Okay, so there are all these things that happen which uh, 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 contribute to uh, a much, much greater form of development. Now, remember, the migrations from Siberia into the Americas uh, through what was called Berengia happened in a period, in several periods, uh, apparently starting going back to about 40,000 
BC. Uh, but they moved to a place in Alaska, what is called Berengia. And there was a genetic lockout there till about uh, uh, 13,000 years back, which is why there is more homogenization of Native Americans than there is of most other populations. But anyway, they spread. But these are Paleolithic, uh, sorry, Neolithic hunters. Some of them were even Paleolithic hunters, hunter-gatherers or Neolithic. They were constantly stuck in the Stone Age. Never forget that these were all Stone Age empires. They hadn't even progressed to the Bronze Age, leave alone the Iron Age. And the North-South axis meant that you had several different climate zones. From Arctic in Canada to, you know, uh, extremely freezing across the Great Plains to kind of temperate in uh, uh, Mexico, huge desert patch, which would act as a massive barrier for migration to dense rainforests, tropical rainforests, uh, back to the Andes and uh, dense Amazonian rainforest or the Andes, then the Atacama Desert again, and then uh, 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 subarctic, uh, well, Arctic in Patagonia and things like that huge climate zones to be negotiated. So for example, the Olmecs were the first to come up with writing, but nobody else around them learned that writing. 2000 years later, the Mayas come up with writing. And mind you, Teotihuacan, which was the super uh, power of those days, which actually conquered a lot of the Maya kingdoms, did not learn writing. We still don't know who the Teotihuacanos were because they never left anything written. The Aztecs were an illiterate empire, even though at this point of time, the Mayas had very complex hieroglyphs. The Incas were an illiterate empire. They had a system called Kipu, Q-U-I-P-U, which was a system of accounting rather than uh, writing. Right, because land records and things had to be kept. And it was knitting. It was, you know, making knots uh, in wool and storing that as land records and things like that. So uh, uh, that north-south axis made a difference, the kind of technology after which the geographic lock comes in, where they're completely cut off from any kind of uh, uh, influences or innovations coming in, is very significant. And when a gunpowder empire, not just an Iron Age empire, a gunpowder empire comes in contact with uh, 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 a Stone Age people. The Stone Age people stand no chance. This is literally like the British coming and settling down uh, uh, with Aborigines in Australia. You can't fight guns. I mean, heck, you can't fight guns even with iron spears or iron bows and arrows. You expect people with stone weapons obsidian, stone weapons essentially, glass weapons technically, uh, uh, to fight against muskets and things, cannon, not happening. Uh, literate, even though most of the conquistadors were illiterate, they came from a very literate civilization. They knew tactics, they know how to deal with people, they had institutional responses to lots of things. So that, that is why they collapsed so rapidly. None of them, actually the ones that lasted the longest were uh, maybe the Comanche who lasted up to the 1800s, mid 1800s, uh, who were in Southern Texas and uh, Arizona, Nevada area, possibly. Yeah, but basically Northern Texas. And the Mayas, 
who lasted for almost about 100 years after uh, the Spanish came before getting completely converted and wiped out, well, semi-wiped out. Thank you very much. Next question, Manu Manoj. What happened with independent referendum in India? Huh? Uh, Manu, what? you have to put a little bit more information on this. What is this? Uh, I think it's Kashmir, probably. I think we'll skip that. We don't know the actual question. Next question. Uh, we have to run through a fair amount of questions, Abhijit. So uh, okay. I urge you to keep your answers short. a little short. Aditya, see, we're, getting really, we're getting really good questions today and they require yes, complex yes. In fact, nuanced answers. I had two follow-ups on the Maya Inca. I'm passing them because there are lots of questions. So I, I totally agree with you. It's very, very good set of questions. Viewers, we love you. You ask us to really go dig deep into yeah. our memory vaults to come up with the answers. Um, Aditya 369 again, isn't Texas underrated and Kali overrated? Huh? In what oh, sense? Drugs? I, I don't this. know. I don't do hard drugs. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> so no, 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 no. I think he means Texas State and California. Oh, not the Kali Drug Cartel. Okay. No, no, no. So I honestly, if you're asking about drugs, I, I can't tell you because I, I don't do those uh, hard drug uh, thingies. Most I've done is smoked weed with some uh, sadhu at uh, going up the Himalayas or whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, Texas underrated and California overrated. Yes, I agree. I, I actually really like Texas. There are lots of parts of Texas which I uh, 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 really enjoy. Not so much maybe Houston, but places like San Antonio and other smaller places, even Waco. Uh, I think they're much nicer. I like nice southern rural America a lot. California, I detest. I avoid going to California as much as possible. But you know, my favorite state in America is probably New Mexico. I really enjoy Santa Fe and Albuquerque a lot. If they only had better international air connections. <laughs> true, true. Uh, Levi, uh, just to finish that thought, a uh, couple of big companies are moving from California to Texas, Tesla and Oracle. And I believe uh, somebody else big also is moving to Texas. Anyway, uh, it's, it's California's loss. Levi Ackerman yeah, wants to te know. Texas is a lovely state. Huh? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Next question Bad. from Levi Ackerman. Don't you think Nehru de-industrialized Bengal intentionally to industrialize Maharashtra because Tata Birla were sympathizers with Congress and Britishers where KC Das was beaten by the Britisher? Mm, look, never attribute, this is Hanlon's reason, huh? never attribute to malice what you can to incompetence. You're actually assuming that Nehru was smart enough to think that far ahead. The net result was his industrial policies generally ruined India. What little there was also he ruined across the country, including in Maharashtra. Okay. Uh, uh, the problem of industrialization in Bengal was also unionization that happened very, very rapidly. But um, I think uh, if you talk to Kanchanta on this, Kanchan Gupta, he's kind of written the entire paper on how this entire cotton and jute trading prices, the equalization of prices, uh, made Bengal completely uncompetitive. And it essentially, what the British had done during the World War was forcibly industrialized it. He deindustrialized it. Yeah. Did he deindustrialize it? Yes. Was it intentional or typical Nehruvian clumsiness? I don't know. Next question from Rahul Raj. When will the Indian economy reach 5 trillion and then 10 trillion? 
five trillion possibly by the time I'm uh, I reach senility. Uh, Ten trillion, not in my lifetime, and quite possibly not yours either. Hardik wants to know how seriously can we take political science theories of people like P. B. Mehta and why? Why don't they address genuine concerns of Hindus? Hmm. Look, P. Uh, B. Mehta is uh, uh, don't go by his columns, go by his books. He's actually very good. He he believes like I do in first principles. Go back to first principles, and then the path becomes clear. Uh, <coughs> uh, he's never been into religion that much, which is why he never get into Hindu, Muslim, whatever. And I think he's bitter because he expected some kind of an advisory role to government. And uh, you know, ambitious people—if you ignore them, they turn against you. It's that simple. Uh, but he was never into religion. So even had he been an advisor to government uh, or something like that, he would absolutely not be um, uh, uh, addressing concerns of Hindus irrespective. But he, actually, if you read his uh, longer papers, proper papers, they would actually be pretty um, decent. Huh? Bharti Watts wants to know, what is your opinion about Anuj Dhar and his theory about Netaji and Shastriji's death? Oh, I don't know. I haven't read or heard. Uh, I mean, it keeps popping up on my YouTube timeline, but, uh, you know, this is, I mean, it's just never been a priority for me. Let's put it that way. So, Sid wants to know, should India have UCC? Why do Indian liberals not support it? Indian left is the only left in the world that does not support UCC and support Sharia. Mm. And then last question Look, is, do we need UCC to be able to legalize? One, one, at, a time, one at a time. Yeah. One at a time. Yeah. One at a time. Uh, so look, uh, uh, why do Indian liberals not support it? Because uh, basically they their positions uh, would not want their vote bank to get modernized. People are a vote bank if they do not modernize. If they modernize, they cease to become a vote bank. Okay, like they say, education is the biggest liberator. Uh, you don't want them educated. So you don't want the kind of social changes that would come about. UCC would kind of fast track those social changes. But mind you, uh, some of the strongest opponents of UCC are in fact uh, Katarpati Hindus. Uh, because they believe what a UCC will do is uh, uh, it will, uh, in many ways, it will uh, uh, homogenize Hindus even more and make, uh, uh, you know, uh, targeting of Hindus by a later Congress government much easier. So uh, 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 the liberals, it's a question of vote bank, the BJP, it's a question of that they believe uh, that it can be used later on against Hindus. And you don't need UCC to be able to legalize gay marriage. No, you don't. That is based, I mean, you could do it. it different things get legalized at different times. So it doesn't really make a difference. No. Radhu, Redu Krishnan wants to know, if someone, if somehow China takes over Taiwan, will the world accept it and continue to move forward like what happened to Hong Kong? Well, look, China is not taking over Taiwan, but yes, the world will accept it if it happens. 
Next question, please. Pranav wants to know why are Indian reservations limited to only paternal lineages that aren't misogynistic? When you say reservation, you mean uh, 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 caste reservation in college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if the father is a certain caste, that's what carries over to the son. This is what he's trying to say. Because we're a, because we're a patrilineal society. In Kerala, uh, you had the Nayars were matrilineal, but in '72 they had a, a, a referendum of sorts, and they decided they wanted to be completely patrilineal. So since they, they also became patrilineal, yeah, they did. Mainans too. Mainans also are matrilineal. Yeah, well, Nayars generally, mm. uh, uh, that entire warrior community is matrilineal. Uh, in effect, it was matriarchal. It was matrilineal, yes, yes. matrilineal in theory, but matriarchal in practice. The British first brought in that shaming. How can you let women lead the family and nonsense like that? But in '72, they changed over and formally became patriarchal. Hmm. Okay, they became patriarchal. They voted for it and became patriarchal. And uh, 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 because it is a question of birth. And how is your Varna and Gotra decided based on patriarchal, uh, patrilineal uh, uh, lineage? Uh, you don't do matrilineal lineage anywhere in India except uh, for the this small community in Kerala, uh, which since 72 hasn't been the case anyway. And Feynman's nudge wants to know, using empirical support, how do you defend an accusation of genocide? It's contextual. It's contextual. So you tell me which one. <clears throat> but look, genocide has a very specific marker. A pogrom is a pogrom. It isn't a genocide. Uh, genocide is when it happens systematically. It has to be a crime of commission. And this is the biggest argument against uh, uh, the Armenian genocide, where the Turks claim it was errors of omission, not crimes of commission, even though there's enough proof to actually prove that it was crimes of commission. Uh, uh, there are a lot of benchmarks that need to be met. Okay, state planning and support, uh, organization, uh, the persistence of it, the consistency of it, the tempo and tenor of it, the intended results achieved, etc., 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 etc. Next question, please. Shrey Saxena wants to know: Can Pakistan sell slash lease out POK to China to save its economy? <laughs> what is China? Look, China doesn't just want pieces of land. China wants those pieces of land to yield something, right? What is POK going to yield? Zinch. So no, it can't. It's heading where Sri Lanka has already headed. Sai wants to know, why do you think Christianity is declining in the West? It's classic post-industrialization. Uh, uh, if you industrialize, you become less religious. You see it everywhere, Japan. Apparently, South Korea. I did not know that because all my reading on South Korea was almost 20 years old. And 20 years back, they were bloody religious. Huh? I remember first going to South Korea, they were damn religious. I, I was actually amazed. Now they're apparently completely irreligious. You go to uh, 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 Europe, they're completely irreligious. Australia, all the developed countries, the number of irreligious people is phenomenal. 
it's it's one of those things where you know uh, markers of identity are very important during times of uncertainty. So family, uh, 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 religion, etc., etc., etc. When you develop where you don't, where you're not in fear of losing your life in a riot or invasion and sacking and plunder and rape and things like that, you move past it very quickly. Very, very quickly. The danger is that you still need a form of social control. So a lot of political correctness and wokeism has arisen as a new religion because they felt that social control was needed. So, uh, you know, uh, as you'll actually see, the more religion declines, the more political correctness and uh, 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 wokeism increase. Surprise, surprise. Bhartiya Bharatam wants to know how to rock the ecosystem built in India to lean completely left side. For example, in TN, the news channels, media houses and the movie industries 95% controlled by DK, DMK, commies. Hmm. What he's saying is this is now completely gone left. How do you pull it back to the right? Or at least to the center. See, the left has always focused on the arts. The right has very little time for the arts. Okay. So what you do is, and the left fundament, the right believes in do your own thing yourself. You be you. The left fundamentally believes in an, in a system where the government gives handouts and so you're dependent on the government. It's a fundamental philosophical problem. So here what you have to do is you actually need to create an ecosystem. You actually need to adopt socialist methods. And you have to be quite ruthless. The right has never been able to be as ruthless as the left. And this is just last week's unanswered questions. Now we are starting today's questions. <laughs> so you can understand that there is a fair amount of... Listen. Hey, I thought we were no longer going to do this, boss. I thought we were going to start only with this week's questions. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We, because we see uh, it hard for people to be turned away. And, and many people actually pay for these questions to be answered. So they are putting a value on your, your intellect. So I'm sorry. We have to, anyway, I'll, we need to figure out this thing until we figure out how we get data transferred from your place to ours. We have to kind of do this thing. Let's hope this week we can figure this out. Mandar Karnik yeah. wants to know, what do you think about students losing two years of offline education? I think it's a massive setback in their development. I think so too. I think we haven't accounted, like I said, you know, especially in India, we don't look at mental health seriously. I think this is going to have very, very severe downstream consequences, which won't begin to manifest themselves till about seven to ten years later on. But yes, you will see it. We, we, I, 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 I'm yet to read a piece that has convinced me on a predictive trajectory, an accurate predictive trajectory. But yeah, I, I think it's a big problem. Next question, please. Mr. Lee wants to know who is behind the cyber attacks involving ransomware on oil storage installations in Europe last week. Russia? I still don't know. I still don't know. Uh, you know, it could just as easily be a false flag attack. No? How do you know? Yeah. yeah. I treat cyber with a great deal of skepticism right now. 
because the one thing you realize is attribution is such a massive problem. And attribution can be skewed any way you want. It can be spun any way you want. So I'm not uh, uh, buying this story yet. I think uh, uh, once we know the entire motive, then yeah, we know. Abhishek wants to know what psychological and mental effect does war and armed conflict bring to local population, especially children, and what effect does it have in their lives? Uh, it, it has two different effects from what I can see. One is excessive uh, timidity and socialization problems, and on the other hand, psychopathy. Okay, uh, you get a lot of angry kids that have seen a lot of harm and they uh, want to replicate that. It, it's a form of child abuse. You know, 99% uh, of child abusers have also been the victims of child abuse. Uh, so it's, it's that kind of an extremely uh, dangerous uh, cycle that happens. The second thing that happens is, depending on the nature of the conflict, uh, uh, fantasism, uh, you know, going off to a fantasy land, uh, living in rumors, uh, rumor mongering and conspiracy theory uh, become rampant <coughs> and lying, lying. Uh, conflict societies become pathological liars, pathological liars across the board. It's a method of survival. Okay, because you don't know which faction is going to take over tomorrow and what you'll be executed for. So you have to be extremely uh, 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 flexible. Uh, not neutral, flexible. You can't be neutral. If you're neutral, you'll get killed. So if uh, you know, assume there's a civil war in Tamil Nadu, PMK, DMK and ADMK. When the ADMK forces come into Madras, you have to be uh, when the DMK forces come, you have to say Stalin, Jindabad, Stalin, Jindabad. And if the PMK forces come in, who's the head of the PMK? Is the, it's Dr. Ramdas. Uh, Ramdas, Jindabad, Ramdas. You, you have to be excessive in your support. You come out and flag wave. You, you have to be extremely jingoistic to survive. It leads to deep... Uh, societal violence, the, the lying is more than a survival mechanism. It also becomes a land-grabbing mechanism. Remember, 90% uh, of those wrong drone hits that the Americans did was because when a guy wanted to take his neighbor's land, he would say that this guy is an Al-Qaeda guy or a, 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 a Taliban guy. The Americans would come and hit it and he'd coolly walk into that plot of land. So that erosion of social trust living in a jacuzzi uh, society where you accuse everybody else, you see conspiracies, you accuse everybody else of conspiracies, you're always trying to get the other person killed as a survival mechanism. It is extraordinarily destructive. And, and you know, the effects of it take generations to get rid of. So true, so true. Next question, please. And, and that's a specific kind of conflict, right? World War II, uh, 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 Germany, Japan, not so much because those were relatively short. Five, six years is nothing. We're talking about endemic conflict like say Kashmir or Syria or Libya or uh, whatever. Uh, have you read Walter Mignolo's 2021 book, The Politics of Decolonial Investigations? 
what is your stand on vignolo's theory of de i have not i have not and i generally avoid reading anything on if it's got decolonial in it i'm allergic to it because it's such a load of bunkum i don't believe in this decoloniality at all basically decoloniality is the global version of indic when you're basically bullshitting you see you don't understand it because you have an occidental mindset i'm actually giving you ancient uh, you know uh, atlantean indic gyan before atlantis went underwater this was the gyan that they gave to indians and this is what the gyan i'm giving you give me a break please so this decolonial nonsense i have never bought if there's anything decolonial in it it's a big lacuna in my uh, uh, thing but uh, generally if there's decoloniality in it there's very high chances i will emit a very very stinky fart and move away next question from aditya what are some key events in the history of world which lay meaning to the current situation in the world for example the french revolution can you talk about some others sure uh, climate change uh, specifically the period between 1250 to about 1350 uh uh the uh, uh black death uh what else uh, uh the application of chemical energy to the production process so coal in england yeah those would be the key events i mean off the top of my head this is something i'll have to think for a very long time to come up with the full list but off the top of my head those would be the top 3 Rahul Sharma wants to know as a student preparing for CAPF exam which forces one join and why which courses i think how to learn russian and chinese what language? is a CAPF exam no idea see i've never my parents were very clear my mom was uh, is a capitalist my dad was a communist they were both bureaucrats and the only thing they divorced when i was 5 the only thing they could ever agree on was that abhijit ayer mitra will never join anything in the government Okay, so I don't even know what the hell these exams are. If I even uttered the word uh, 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 "government exam" in the household, one cheek would get red from a slap from my mum; the other cheek would get red from a slap from my dad. Uh, okay, I have no idea about this exam, so he clearly means force. Can you bring the uh, uh, this thing up again? Question again. so yeah the first question i honestly don't know the answer to because it's not a road out of sh- just sheer fear of my mom and dad because the one thing that used to get them really upset i have zero qualification to answer that not that i have any qualification to answer the others i just keep presenting interesting hypotheses i guess how to learn russian and chinese for beginners look chinese i tried very hard i it turns out i am I am not tone deaf. I am tone dumb. I hear things correctly, but I reproduce them badly. And you're probably too le- uh, late to learn the kind of uh, 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 voice stuff required for Chinese now. What I'd suggest, if you want to do Russian, is you have to do uh, 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 immersive training. Go to Russia for two, three weeks and sit and do immersive training. Those are the things that work the best. Uh, because you know, I never learned. italian i picked up italian because i spent so much time in italy so you have to do that immersion uh, this thing but if you want to do it sitting in india i guess uh, you know you'll have to find something that doesn't focus on grammar and focuses entirely on vocabulary so you can speak 
grammatically wrong Russian, but people will still understand it. Uh, <coughs> Uh, uh, well, if Chinese, like, again, you're asking me the wrong question, boss. I mean, I know nothing about this. Cosmic Ocean wants to know, which SUV do you suggest for Indian roads and why? <laughs> right now, XUV 700, man, Mahindra, go for it. It's awesome. Right? It's really, really awesome. Like, uh, I got this friend of mine who's an automotive journalist. He, he deliberately wanted to see how far he could push it to induce a system's failure. So he drove it through a heck of a lot of water and things. It did not fail. That is super impressive. He, he drove it through like about four or five feet of water. Uh, not four or five feet, maybe three, four feet of water, but at least not up to windowsill, but just under windowsill level. And it was fantastic. So clearly Mahindra are on to winner out here. And clearly the market is voting for them big time because it's completely decimated the Harrier out of the market, the Safari. Do you even see safaris? Do you see Kia Karens or that Hyundai Alcazar on the road? No. Anybody who wants to buy that is only buying the XUV 700. Nobody's buying the safari. Uh, 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 Harrier sales have leveled off. Uh, <coughs> this generation Creta is a horrible car, unlike the previous generation Creta. The Alcazar, how many do you see on the road? Uh, uh, so, yeah, uh, I would say go in for Mahindra just generally. Uh, I've, I've driven the Mahindra. Uh, it's a beautiful car. There was not one fault that I could find in it at all. Uh, small things here and there, maybe in trim and finish, but that's about it. Uh, with the Creta, the problem was, you know, it, the, the panel is set so deep inside. It's disorienting when you're looking from the road. It's, it's almost set a foot inside from uh, where the glass is. It's very disorienting. And the I travel between the screen on the left, the uh, display here, and the road is too much. I personally didn't like, I, I mean, I found the Kia Seltos's uh, uh, bells and whistles really nice, all the extra equipment package. But then again, the Mahindra has much better. Uh, uh, I personally have never driven these off-road, so I really don't, I can't comment on off-road. But, on in, but your question is also Indian roads, not Indian off-roads. So Indian roads, uh, uh, I love the Harrier and the Safari. But then when you drive the XUV, you're just like, I mean, why even bother with the Harrier and the Safari, right? So I would suggest, but look, I you have to be, this is full disclosure. I go entirely, I'm a... Uh, uh, are they in there? Um, uh, what is that Tamil word for it? Uh, a lazy fellow. Uh, uh, so spandy. So uh, I'm a big so uh, My idea of a great car ride is sitting in the back seat. Uh, you know, uh, <coughs> nice plush seats. Or even in the front seat, nice plush seats. The suspension should be excellent. The noise insulation should be excellent. Acceleration, acceleration, I don't give a damn. And there should be lots of toys for me to play with. Bus. Okay. And it should be reliable. Now, when are you coming to US? Going to be reliable. When are you coming to US? German cars? Uh, I think next month. Uh, yeah, I'm coming next month. Do, do, do plan I'm on coming to Silicon Valley. I'll give you a ride around on my Tesla. No, 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 no. If I come to Silicon Valley, I'll die of allergy. I'm allergic to woke types. You know, I'd be like... I'm not a woke. I, I would literally... I know you're not a woke, but they're wokes on the streets. No, can you protect me from them? No, 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 no. That's okay. And that's besides, okay. 
and and besides it's probably safer to be in afghanistan today than it is to be in california you can always wear a burqa you can always wear a burqa no thank you not interested so see the, if i wear a burqa i'll be killed by the police if i don't wear a burqa i'll be killed by uh, criminals so uh, uh, no thank you i'm zero interest i'm going to be in san francisco i'm going to uh, then go for a holiday to hawaii and that's about it i am not going to venture out on the streets i think afghanistan is a safer place than california right now uh, california is full of criminals thugs rape loot murder arson it is crazy do not go to california nobody go to california uh, 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 it's like the wild wild west all over again and you know the problem is if you uh, uh, you may be a very nice guy but can you assure me walk free streets because if you can't if i see walks on the street i will immediately lower the window and start spitting hi hi <laughs> all right let's go to the next question please aditya ayer wants to know was chinese society atomized to a large extent after the cultural revolution that it created a vacuum which is filled by mindless consumerism after deng xiao's reforms which state uses as a leverage yeah yeah very much so uh very much so um you know the entire thought process the way of thinking when you subject the entire population let me give you a simple example everything great and good about india originally came from bihar the mauryas the guptas kalidasa sanskrit classical sanskrit literature etc 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 today bihar is uh, you use bihari interchangeably with a savage you know why because of 1857 it was the beating heart of nationalist feelings in india they actually had a sense of india and they got punished the worst what took 5000 years to build up was destroyed because of the punishments of the british it was destroyed in 20 years it requires civilization can be snuffed out like that that's what happened in bihar and that's what dang xiaopang uh, well mao zedong did to uh, china mao not dang dang was dealing with the after effects of it he exploited it of course but mao did that to china even before you know there were absolutely genocidal things happening like the taiping uh, rebellion uh, uh, the taiping rebellion killed off for 30 40 million people people don't even remember it indian chinese uh, you know the calcutta chinese are there in calcutta because of the taiping rebellion uh, so you know it's it's very uh, uh, it, it dis- they've destroyed the fabric of chinese civilization essentially ashish sharma wants to know how would you differentiate caste as a colonial fixed hierarchy versus jati is only limited to inherent of certain cultural and traditional practices and beauties and a sense of community uh, i'm not answering this question i told you i don't do this colonial nonsense this Next colonial decolonial I, i don't believe in colonial decolonial at all chetan pai wants to know why do you think ex marxists like sitaram goel understood the importance of narratives and institutions while the present non left in india still fails to understand it you see marxists i am also an ex marxist actually tend to read a lot of marxist humanity lenin used to say every idea is worth a thousand pages of theory 
Okay, so Marxists usually have a much better theoretical grasp and they've led infinitely more about social control and mind control and social dynamics and anthropology than the non-left has. They are just, I hate to say this, but generally Marxist, uh, there are lots of dumb Marxists too, but they are better educated on average in the humanities than the non-left. All right, so uh, it's not surprising. It's not surprising at all. Next question, please. Devanjan Banerjee wants to know, why did India not accept the Durand line as the legitimate border between Pakistan and Afghanistan as the largest co-heir to the British Raj? Why should we? It suits our purpose if it's not demarcated, no? It perfectly suits our purpose because uh, 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 Afghanistan was a huge problem. The, the uh, problem accelerated. This whole idea of strategic depth in Afghanistan accelerates after 71 and the Bangladesh war. Because they realized if Islam couldn't hold together uh, uh, linguistic differences, how was it going to hold together ethnic differences between Pashtun and Punjabi? So that is why this whole strategic depth nonsense starts off. So it always suited us. The Afghans hated the Pakistanis from day one. It suited us perfectly. So why would we? All right. Um... Uh, Vijit, I know you're a little tired. Uh, it's uh, coming up on one and a half hours. And I just checked with my editor. Still a lot of questions to go through. Um, do you want to go for a 15 minutes more? or? Uh... Uh, I'm like really exhausted. Mm. They just landed on okay. everything. No? Understood. Understood. No, no, I'll be. I'll what be I'll do is, what we'll do is we'll record all those answers because we have to finish the backlog this week. Both of last week's yes. backlog and this week's backlog. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, we will do that and we'll figure out a way. Just stay on the line after we hang up, uh, Abhijit, so we can kind of talk this thing through a little bit. Thank you very much, Abhijit. As always, a pleasure to have you on our channel. And, and viewers, please remember what I said about the Tamil version of Weekly Global Insights. Tamil Nadu, as well as many southern states, are completely brainwashed in terms of what they are being told as news. And we are trying to change that narrative Please help us in this endeavor. Thank you very much. Thanks, Abhijit. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. Thank you.